Well, church, as you're having a seat, would you grab your Bibles and open to Colossians chapter 2? We're finishing up um, chapter 2 this morning in our study of Colossians. Zach, is there an extra water back there by chance? Maybe an... Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, look at this. Another one appeared. Awesome. Thank you. Pardon me. <clears throat> well, um, any, any 80s kids in here like me? Yeah? How many of y'all remember the mixtape thing? Anyone make any mixtapes back in the day? Yeah? One mix, two mixtapers? Uh, so that was a thing uh, before the era of Spotify and unlimited music where you just pay like $4 a month and you have every song ever recorded in human history. So back in the day, we used to have our boom box, or I, I called it my jam box. And uh, in, in the jam box, you had your tape deck and you would sit there and listen to the radio and you'd be on the top 10 and you would dub or you'd bootleg your mixtape of all your favorite songs. And so you'd, you'd just have to just wait for it. And so I would wait for Guns N' Roses to come on. And then I had another favorite like Boys to Men. And so I'd have some Boys to Men. I'd have Guns N' Roses. I'd have a little Metallica. I have all this random like hodgepodge of music on this tape. And then you get to label it like whatever you wanted. And if you're sometimes if you're trying to impress uh, a lady, you could send her a mixtape that communicated your feelings through all these different cool songs, right? And you could give it to her in class. I never did that. I was never brave enough. I never talked to a female uh, outside of Ashley ever. So don't worry about that. That never <laughs> happened. And, uh, but that was, that was common practice with my buddies. I never, you know, I never did that. So, uh, but you made these mixtapes, right? And they, all these, this collection of hodgepodge songs that really have no business being on the same tape together, right? Well, essentially, this confusing sort of odd text that we just had read for us, the Colossian church was doing this with religion. They were taking all these different ideas. They were taking all these different traditions. They were taking all these different pagan practices and rituals. Uh, and these people were coming up to these people in this church, and they were saying, well, no, this is what it really means to be a Christian, so you have to take this portion over here. You take a little boys to men with the little guns and roses and sprinkle in a little Neil Diamond. And this is really what it means because this is my favorite thing. And so if you don't like this particular version, then you're not really worshiping God. So they were taking all of these different practices, all of these different things. This is mixture of pagan elements, ceremonial things, cultic rituals, and they were just sort of... In, in putting them all together and saying, this is how you really properly worship Jesus. Because it was all this different stuff that was going on in the culture around them. They were, it was like a mixed bag, a mixed tape of religion, if you will. And they were saying, if you just worship like this, it's got to sound like this. It's got to look like this. It's got to include all of these other things because this is how I interpret it. And if you're doing it a different way, you're wrong. Do it my way. Uh, with all this other stuff, and you're right. And it's called syncretism. And so up until this point, as we've been walking through the book of Colossians, and if you're new with us, welcome, glad you're here. We walk through books of the Bible. And so we're in chapter two in Colossians. Paul really hasn't addressed the major issue in this church of why he's writing to them thus far. And so this is the first time he really sort of tips into the Colossian heresy, as they'll call it in the big commentaries. 
And this is what they're doing, syncretism. They're inputting all these other things from their culture and their worldviews into Christianity and saying, you have to do these things, then God will love you. If you omit the things that we do and I like, then you're wrong and you're an error. So kind of knowing that, I'm gonna read the passage again because it's, it's confusing, but I think knowing kind of what's happening here, it'll give us a better framework to understand and then we're gonna unpack it and then we'll be out of here. So Paul, in light of this, in light of all these different things kind of being imputed into their Christian walk says this, therefore church in Colossae, Christians, new believers in Christ, says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. You don't have to eat certain things and drink certain things in order for God to love you. With regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, you don't have to celebrate the right things in the right order at the right time in order for God to be pleased with you. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come. These just point to something greater. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, meaning like strict rules or even like beating up your own body for the sake of being honoring to God. Uh, and the worship of angels and going on in detail about these visions that you have, being puffed up without reason by, this, by your sensuous mind, and not holding fast. So this is what you're not doing. When you're doing all these other things, you're celebrating festivals, you're kind of relying on visions in your own, uh, you're being puffed up by your own spiritual abilities to really get it all done. He's saying when you're doing this, you are not holding fast to the head, meaning Jesus, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. So you wanna grow in God, you don't have to do all these other things, just be connected to Christ. He's it. He's the one. If with, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, all these other things, Josh did a great job unpacking that last week, all these other things the culture says you need to do, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? You've died to that stuff. Do not... So, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's referring to all these things according to human precepts and teachings. These have an, catch this, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look really great. They have an appearance of wisdom and in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they're no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All these other things that we just think, if I just add this, if I just do this, if I just listen to this right thing, if I do this in this order, Paul says all those other things without Christ have no value in producing change in your heart and mind to really press into and know Jesus and know God. Jesus is the, is the point. And so here's what he's boiling it down to for us. He's saying this, Jesus plus something else does not equal freedom, does not equal spiritual life, does not equal spiritual growth. All these other people were saying, okay, take Jesus, add something else, and then you'll find it. Jesus plus something is not the gospel, Paul says. Jesus plus something is really nothing. Paul's just driving this into us. This is the Colossian heresy. Jesus plus something is not the gospel. Paul's message to the Colossians is this, Christ is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything in the Christian world. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything because he's done it all. Paul's reminding us what Jesus has done for us. And you may be thinking, well, that's all good and great for this little Colossian church sort of in a place I'll probably never go. And uh, I don't really struggle with practicing new moon festivals and really arguing the Sabbath. How does this really relate to me? Well, we deal with this all the time. Churches deal with this all the time. Uh, Religious leaders deal with this all the time. Uh, And we do it in a more subtle way that really appeals to our cultural climate and the pulse in which we live and breathe and operate. And so sometimes it can look like this. It can feel like this. It can sound like this. Jesus plus prosperity equals spiritual growth and health. So long as you're being blessed financially and with stuff, then you know God's really on your side. That has the roots of the prosperity gospel. Well, what if he's not? Then does God not love me? And it creates doubt and it creates fear and it creates uh, insecurity. Jesus plus mystery cults. There's all sorts of examples of adding on all these other practices into the Christian message. Jesus plus another testament. Oh, well, those books are great, but here's another one that, that we've discovered and you just need to abide by this one. Jesus plus a political ideology that will really save you. Tack that on and then you'll really know and flourish in the kingdom of God. We struggle with this a lot. We struggle with this a lot. But Jesus plus something else, Paul is reminding us, is not good news. It's really not good news at all. It's a yoke of slavery. So you can't improve upon the gospel. When you add to the gospel, you actually lose it, Paul is saying. When you add to the gospel, you're putting your man-made efforts into what God will now be pleased with you and the measure by which he'll hold you. So um, this, is a, a, this is a deadly, slippery, awful thing to be tipped into, and it's all over the place if we're not careful. We tend to do this too, Jesus plus whatever it is in, in your life and world that you think, if I just input this in, then God will be, be pleased with me. Paul's saying, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. His death, his resurrection, the life he's given to you, it's enough. You don't have to search for all these other things because you'll never find it. It's found in the head, in Christ, in him alone. Can't improve upon the gospel. So in this text, we come to two important things. So uh, real quickly, where have we been? Well, this is a letter written from a place for a purpose. So right, we talked about that at the very, very beginning. And here in this letter, as we've walked through this over the weeks, we've seen uh, how this letter uh, talks about how Jesus changes everything for us. Following Jesus, knowing Jesus, being saved by Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus changes everything. Because of Christ, we're not the same people we used to be. We've taken off the old and we've put on the new. We've taken on an entire new perspective of reality because of Jesus a new reality and a new understanding because of Christ, because of all that he's accomplished for us. And when we understand that, we understand that we are now in Christ and being in Christ, he is enough. And when we experience what Christ has given to us, only then are we truly free. We don't have to bring on all these other things to experience freedom in this life and peace in this life. Christ is the only one that gives us to it, Paul is reminding us and drilling that into us. We're free from all the old ways. 
in which we thought we would find true life, true happiness, and a life to the full. Jesus is life to the full, Paul is telling us. We're free from the systems of religion. We're free from the systems of the world. Why? He talked, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Because the mystery has come. Do you remember that? Chapter one. The mystery has come to you and I. It's not about the old systems. It's not about the old systems. It's about a new reality and a new relationship with Jesus. The mystery that was hidden for ages has now been revealed to us through Christ Jesus. And he's all that we need. So grab hold of him, cling to him. Cling to him. And so there's kind of two dangers that Paul's gonna address here when walking with Christ. One of those is that we would get stuck in this old system. One of, one of these dangers that he's gonna warn us in this passage is that we get stuck in this old system, that we somehow feel we've got to do a whole lot of external things to create an internal reality in our lives. We've gotta muster up all this other stuff outside of us to create an internal reality. But the gospel is opposite to this. This goes in contrary to what the Apostle Paul has been teaching us. The gospel is not about external change producing internal change. The gospel is about our interior, our hearts being made new, and that working its way out into our lives. So the, this heresy, these other people coming in and telling these churches, you've got to do all these external things and that will change things in your heart and mind. Paul says, no, Jesus comes in, he changes your heart and that changes everything around you. It's the opposite of what these folks are saying. And Paul gives us an example in verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Paul's saying, don't let anyone pull you back into the observance of all these religious practices. This new moon festival or this feast saying, okay, if you really wanna be made right with God, you've gotta do all of these things and you've gotta do them in the right order at the right time during the right moon phase. All these external things will produce internal results in you. So these church members, these young believers, were hearing this and they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, we've got to go back to these old systems, they're being told. Paul says, don't let anyone pull you back into that. Christ has come, he has set you free. Those things are just shadows. They just are meant to point you to the greater reality and that greater reality, that mystery has come and it's Christ, Jesus. It's Jesus. I think a good way for us to think about this in our context is, is thinking about it like this. Don't let anyone speak into your life that you need an external addition to make that internal relationship with God everything God wants it to be. Let me say that again. Don't let anyone speak into your life, convince you that you need an external addition to make your internal relationship with God everything God wants it to be. Now understand this, don't hear me sing this. It does not mean that God does not want things to change in our lives. It does not mean that God is not interested in the periphery of our lives. It does not mean that God doesn't want our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors and how we treat one another, how we parent, how we love our spouse, how we invest our money to all be influenced and changed by the gospel. But all of those things, catch this, reflect our new reality in Christ, but they don't affect our new reality in Christ. 
All of those things are reflected in what's happening in our hearts, but they don't produce that which happens in our hearts. Jesus is the only one that does that. Jesus is the only one that does that. So by faith, everything changes, Paul is telling us. By faith, we are completely forgiven. By faith, internally, we are alive from the dead and alive in Christ. And Paul's saying, church, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, or you don't have to do all these other exciting things to make the internal reality true for you. So many times, many of us, especially if maybe we've even grown up in the church, we get stuck in religion. And religion is defined by one word. Religion that we get trapped in, that we get stuck in, is defined by this one word. And I think the word can be summed up this way, do. Do, 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 do. I have to do this to be right with God. I have to do this and that to be right with God. I have to do this to be approved of by others around me. I have to do this and do that. And Paul is writing to this church and he's saying to us, you're not stuck in that anymore. Now in Christ, Christ has come. And that relationship now that he's come in and changed our hearts and changed our minds, we've received him by faith. Our new reality in Christ is defined by a new word. No longer religion, no longer do. Our new reality in Christ is defined by this new word, done. Done. I don't have to do all this stuff anymore. I don't have to do this and do that and uh, go over here and, and change this and make sure this is right and this is done exactly the right time. It's in Christ, it's been done. It's been done. So church, where are you this morning? Do you see the Christian life as a bunch of things you must do in order to have God be pleased with you? Do you try to tip the scales? Because that's known as karma, that's not the gospel. If I just do enough, I'll tip the bad to the good and then God might be happy with me. That's not Christianity. The gospel is Jesus has done for us that which we could never do for ourselves. And Paul is urging us to rejoice in and to sit in and to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross and resting in the identity of that word, done. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. It's finished. Christ has done all that we need. Christ was died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. Christ did enough. And so my standing with God is done because of the work of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, when I was growing up, um, I was always sort of spiritually very curious, and so I would, I kind of had this, I, this idea or this thought that I would just, we would go to church occasionally, and I would go every now and again, and it was usually like Christmas and Easter, and it was sort of like, just in case, you know, just in case God is watching, just in case this might make a difference, we'll go during these times, because that you, you can't get presents unless you go uh, to church first, and then you can get the presents. We grew up, my dad grew up very Catholic, and so that was sort of the rule, and so we would go just in case to make sure we sort of covered our bases. Uh, I, w I grew up thinking, oh, maybe I need to be nice to my brother just in case that might make a difference, and God might see that and be pleased with me. Maybe we'll put a few uh, bucks in the offering plate just 
just in case God might be pleased with that. Well, church, Jesus didn't come for us to live in this just in case reality. That's not why he came. Jesus came so that we finally know fully, as clear as day, that it is finished. No longer do we have to be in this, well, just, I'll do, just in case this might help, this might work. Jesus said, no, it's finished. I've done it. My, my staying with God, finished. My forgiveness in Christ, it's finished. My guilt, gone, finished. My shame, taken away because of the blood of the cross, finished. I have a brand new relationship with Christ, with God because of Christ. And so Paul's saying, don't let anyone pull you away into thinking that some external things will make your internal re reality with God a reality for you. He's saying, be careful of anyone that says that. Now, the second big dilemma that we see here in this text is that um, there's always gonna be folks, there's always gonna be people, there's always gonna be podcasts, there's always gonna be uh, friends or neighbors or whoever it is or family that's gonna come alongside, that's gonna come along in your story and they're gonna say things like this. You believe in Jesus? Great. That's awesome. Oh, you're studying your Bible? That's even better. Way to go. Oh, you've come to like discover and really treasure this new relationship that God's given to you, this new reality that he has for you. Even better, awesome. But have you heard about this? Have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard about this new way of thinking about it, this new way of doing things? This, have you heard about this person over here? And Paul comes down on this hard. Remember the lens that we're working through here. 2.18, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In other words, he's saying, be careful about all of this because in the religious world, there's a lot of traps that we can fall into, especially for those of us who have come alive to Christ Jesus, our Lord because we want to grow, we want to know him, we want to follow him, we want to pursue him. And so uh, Paul says, when you are in a place where you just are wanting to run after Jesus, we're prone to hearing, well, that's great, but have you heard about this new thing? Make sure you're doing this or make sure you're doing that. There's always going to be someone who comes along and says, that's great what you're doing, but you just don't have enough. You just don't have enough. And if you really want the inside scoop, if you really want the inside track with God, you've got to know what I know because God's told me. Hmm, surprised he hasn't told you. So let's get together and talk about it some more. If you really want to know God, you've got to see what I've seen. If you really want to know God, you've got to hear what I've heard. If you really want to know God, you've got to go to this very special place that I discovered and I found and it's over here. And if you uh, follow this way, then God will become very, very real to you. And to the religious person that wants to long and treasure Jesus, we think, oh, I want to know that because I want to know more of Jesus. And so it's a slippery slope. And Paul's saying, be careful. 
Be careful, church. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Paul's saying, don't get caught in that trap. It's a trap. Don't get caught in it. Verse 19, he reminds us of what we have in Christ. So we don't need all these other things. We don't need a special place. We don't need a special vision. We don't need uh, all of these other things. That the, the, Because you don't have those, it doesn't disqualify you from having a robust, incredible relationship with the Lord Jesus. He's saying, this is what matters. This is what you have. Verse 19, you have the fullness of what you need in Christ. He is the head. From the whole body is supported and held together, and it grows as God causes it to grow. You have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, he will grow and change you the way Jesus decides. And it's up to God's timing and God's agenda, not your neighbor next door, not a special way or place or thing or method or this or that. You don't have to stand on one foot. You don't have to do a backflip. You don't have to see a certain color while you're doing whatever it is. He's saying, be careful. He said, and then he goes on. And he says, you're dead to the basic principles of this world, so don't act like you still belong to it. Don't fall for the infomercial. Well, if you just do this, then you'll get the cleanest floors you've ever had, right? Whatever it is, right? Well, if I just did this, then God will really be there for me. He's saying, don't act like you still belong to the world. Christ has freed you from me. He's given you all that you need. And so church, here's the encouragement for us today. Think about the reality that we have in this new creation that God has wrapped us in into. Think about what God has done on the inside of us simply as an act of faith for us. And yes, we want that to make an impact on our lives. Yes, we want that to affect our behavior. Yes, we want that to change our values. Yes, we want our faith to inform the way that we think, the way that we treat people, the way that we speak to our kids, the way that we love our spouses, all of those things. But hear this, church. Paul's urging us this. We do not do all of those things so that we can have peace with God. We do all of those things because we have peace with God through Christ. We do all those things because he moves first. I've heard it described this way that I find helpful. Uh, there's, there's two young boys. They live on the same street. Uh, both of their dads have a mow their lawn, you know, every week in the dead of the summer. Uh, push mower, not a, it's not an auto, right? Mow, trim, edge, pick the weeds, the whole nine. You got you to gotta get it done. It's 103 degrees. Uh, one boy uh, down the street, he, he's out there mowing. He wants to do his best, and he's, he's trying his hardest. And uh, dad always kind of comes out on the porch and says, you missed a spot right there. And, uh, or he comes up and says, what's taking so long? You've been out there, for all, you've been out there all day. Well, come on, hurry it up, speed it up, speed it up. And the son's trying and he's trying and he's trying. He, can just, he can't ever get it right. He knows his dad is just never going to be pleased with how he mowed the lawn. He's going to miss the edging somewhere. He's going to have a little strip that he just missed. He's going to not pick enough weeds. He's not going to do it fast enough. And at the end, he doesn't get a job well done. He doesn't get a hug. And he just goes in. He says, well, next week you'll probably work on doing that a little bit better. 
And so the kid's always trying to earn his father's approval by doing better and better and better and better. The same street, another kid, he's mowing the lawn like it's the White House. He's just, he's, it's gonna own it. He just, he can't wait. He's gonna mow the, the, to the best of his ability and he's working that lawn. He's, he's, he's sweltering hot. He's under the hot sun. Both of them are sweating, but he's mowing the lawn. He's into it. And the whole time he's thinking, I'm gonna crush this. I'm gonna, I got this. I'm gonna mow this lawn like no one's ever mowed the lawn before, right? And he's doing it because he has a relationship with his father because his father has told him things like this. I love you, son. His father would often, even when he's not mowing the lawn, just grab him and give him a hug and says, you're my boy. You're mine. I love you forever and ever and ever. And that father was filling that son with a sense of place as his home and a sense of peace that no matter what you do, you're still mine. I've got you. And catch this, that son began to believe and know that his father loved him, not because of how well he mowed his lawn, but because he was a son. And as a result of that identity of, man, my dad really loves me, I can go mow that lawn and do my very best, and I know at the end of it, even if I miss a little bit, he's still going to hug me and say, great job, thanks for your help. But the other son is trying to mow that lawn to get his father's approval. No matter how hard he works, he feels like he never measures up. And he's always missing the mark. He's always being told. See, one son is the gospel. And the other is religion. And we struggle in that. The gospel says that we as sons and daughters are loved first. And so we can go out in the world and we can mow the lawn, right? This is getting real preacher analogy here. And the father is still gonna have already been well when we don't get it just right because our identity and place and home has already been well established. And we know we're not gonna get the boot if we don't do it just right. We know that next time, hey, I'll, tr- I'll try, but I, my father's approval still rests on me as a son. Religion is, if I don't get it right, I don't know if dad's gonna love me this, this week. And I got to try real hard over and over and over and over. And insecurity is bred and lack of understanding happens. Callousness begins to happen. This is what Paul's trying to drill down into us in this section. He's saying, don't get caught up in religion. Don't get caught up in the gerbil wheel. There's not some secret info. There's not some secret place. Christ is enough. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? That was a couple weeks ago. It's not keep all these rules, do all this, do it just right, get it just the right way, and then God's gonna step out on the front porch and evaluate and say, Mrs. Spot, Mrs. Spot, it's you're a son and daughter of the Most High. And out of that place of love and security and peace, we can operate in the world in which we live. And from the inside pours out the grace of the gospel to those around us, knowing we're loved, knowing we have a place. He says, don't get trapped in that thinking. Paul's teaching us that we're free in Christ. The Bible, in fact, teaches us that God loved us before we ever loved God. He's the first mover. We don't even have to question that. 
We don't have to drum up his affection for us. He loved us first. We're only able to love God because he loved us first. So we don't have to think his love is fickle and just goes away. God accepted us the moment we placed our faith in Christ. Everything changed. We are loved, adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. And Paul is reminding us, the Bible is telling us, don't let anyone trap you back into religion. It's a gerbil wheel you cannot ever measure up to. God has freed us to remember that in Christ, it's finished. It's done. It's paid for. And so we can even bring nothing. In fact, that's all we have to do. Bring our empty hands of faith. And in Christ, he gives us everything. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. That Christ alone has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let's pray and thank him for it. Lord Jesus, what we do, we thank you for that reality. God, I pray for each of us. Pray for my own heart that you would help us not get trapped in the trap of religion thinking we've just got to work our way into your good graces. Help us to know and believe that Christ is enough. Help us to guard our hearts and minds against the next fad or the next trend that says, do it this way, say it this way, come over here. Lord, I pray that we would run back to your word and it would guard our hearts and minds and remind us that Christ Jesus is enough, that he's given us everything and that the internal reality of us being saved and made new in Christ will affect our external reality, not the other way around. Jesus, thank you that you are enough, that you did that which we could never do on our own, that because of the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, that he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God and looks down at us, sons and daughters, and can say, well done, guilt removed, shame removed, love abiding on us and out of that place, Lord, may we live and operate with those around us. And may we get a glimpse of the love of the Father through how you've loved us as we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship church.